Last week, we said that all semester long, we're going to be taking a look at where we see in the Old Testament um, the person, work, and teachings of Jesus. Now, this is a little bit crazy because, see, if you know anything about your Bible, which I'm not assuming that everybody does, the person of Jesus doesn't come on the scene until well after the Old Testament has sort of been done. Scholars say almost as much as 400, 450 years or so. So it's quite interesting to start a series saying, we're going to try to see Jesus in the Old Testament before He ever shows up. Um, But that's what we're going to try to do. And um, one scholar puts it best when he says this. He says, you know the Bible right here, this really is a book with the answers in the back. The answers are in the back. And uh, the reason he says that is because the whole of the Old Testament, as we saw last week, Jesus himself says, it's all about me. So from Genesis to Malachi in our Bibles, it's all pointing to, it's all foreshadowing to the person, work, and teachings of Jesus. So each week, we're going to take a look at one of the ways that it does that. Um, This week, we're going to take a look at Uh, a title that I'm calling, Whose Image You Bear, from Genesis chapter 1. And I want to ask you a question. What do you think it means to be human? What does that mean for you? And I say, what does it mean to be human? Now you go, why does that, that sounds more like a philosophy class, Ryan. Uh, I'm here tonight to maybe learn a little something about the Bible. And I actually want to tell you this. It is a very, very important question to begin to ask. Here's why. You can't know yourself apart from answering that question. Look, all of us are asking that question in some way. Let me start by an illustration and we'll get there. You may or may not know that my wife and I, Laura, have two twin girls. Their names are Audrey and Evangeline. Yes, I talk about them often because they're really, really fun right now. Uh, But if you were to hang out around our house right now, you would know that um, my wife calls the girls and me the triplets. And the reason she calls us the triplets is because, uh, in, our very, in the words of our very own Anna Livingston, uh, the girls look like me. In fact, Anna calls little Audrey RJ, Ryan Jr. And uh, it's because they're, they're, she thinks that, well, I don't know about Anna, but my wife thinks that I, they have my eyes, they kind of have my lips and facial features and whatnot. Audrey and therefore Evangeline, because they're identical twins, um, look like me. She reflects something of me in her body, in a sense. She bears my image. What I want to look at tonight is very, very, very similar. The Bible holds out from us in this text that God Himself, y'all, is reflected in the creation that He has made. Where? Genesis chapter 1 tells us that His likeness is reflected most acutely, like taking a magnifying glass and focusing in, and it's focused in on one thing in particular. In all of the created world, there is one thing that most resembles God. And Genesis chapter 1 tells us what that is. Are you ready? It's you and me. That is what Genesis chapter 1 is going to tell us. That is what we call the Imago Dei. That is Latin for the image of God. And it comes to us in this text that we just read a minute ago. What is it? What is meant when we talk about the image of God? Well, in short, 
At its core, the Imago Dei is the doctrine of what it means for humans to reflect God's very own character. It doesn't mean you've got brown hair, therefore God's got brown hair. That's not the way we think about it. But rather, it's a statement about what it means to be created human. And as a human being, you are an image bearer of God. The Imago Dei tells us in very broad strokes everything that we want to know about ourselves. Let me raise a few questions. Have you ever thought about these Who are you and where did you come from? Now, I don't mean city, comma, state. What I mean is, is that what does it mean to be human? Ladies, here we go. Why does having the smallest waist size matter so much to you? The Imago Dei tells us. Fellas, why do deep down you feel radically so insecure? The Imago Dei goes there. Why does the world often suck? Why are people so cruel to each other? Why does it blow us away when we see kindness done to other people? What fix is there for the humankind? Will you always struggle with your porn addiction? Will you? The Imago Dei tells us. Will will your greed always be a part of your heart? Will you always feel like you have to control people? The Imago Dei tells us. Lastly, why does, after we just uh, commemorated his life on Monday, why does Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech matter anyways? Why does it? Why does civil rights even matter? The Imago Dei tells us. You see, I could go on, but the doctrine simply tells us it's absolutely critical to understand if you want to know what it means to be human in this world. And it's critical, too, if you want to understand what God actually has to say about His own heart for you. The Imago Dei is going to tell us four things. They're in your page there. They're going to tell us, it's going to tell us who we are, why we matter, what's wrong with us, and how we get fixed It tells us, in other words, about our identity, that is, who we are, our value, why we matter, our problem, our problem, what's wrong with us, and then lastly, our future. What does our future look like? How do we get fixed? My hope today is that you'll begin to see uh, something of this and how Jesus answers it all. Listen, I want to start there in verse 127. Do you see it there where God says... In his word, that man, he says it right there, he says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What is going on there? Listen, as you're reading this first chapter of Genesis, you've kind of been tagged along. He's going through these first five days of what it means to, of, of God creating this world. And on the sixth day, if you're reading this very poetic piece, this exalted prose as the scholars tell us, It's as if it gets to day six and it comes to a screeching halt. If you've got your Bibles there, it's offset in the text. You see how it just looks like text, 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 and then boom, there's a break in verse 27 where it says, So God created man in His own image. And do you know why that is? In the Hebrew, it breaks out into poetry. It's as if God is stopping for a moment to sing forth about what He has just made. 
You and me. What does that mean for us? That means this. That if you were to read and to understand this and we were to spend time in it, you would begin to see that this is actual royal language. That God has made man and woman, both of them, equally. Put them in His world to reflect His own heart and character in a way that acts as if a king has sent out a, um, a steward, so to speak, to govern in another world. That's what you and me are here for. We are here to reflect and to bear forth some picture of God's great goodness in the world. You and me are created royal. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? If you read the Lewis uh, Narnia tales, you know what I'm talking about. It's why you hear the language of King Adam and Queen Eve. It's Lewis capturing something about that. Well, think about it like this. What does it mean to reflect something? To image means literally to represent something, to mirror something even. If you think of a mirror, you look into it, it represents your own the, it, re, it represents you. It's not you, but it reflects something of you. And that is what is meant by what it means to image bear God. You and me, just by nature of being human, by nature of being human, reflect the very character of God. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Well, why would that matter? Here you go. Let's look at this. Um, because I have met with most of you and have talked to TCU students, TCU students, and the more that I do, the more that they tell me this, that TCU actually makes you question who you are. It makes you crazy at times. And I'm not joking about it. I'm literally saying this. Like, you will lose yourself here. Some of y'all have been here not even a full year and you feel like you don't know who you are anymore. You were one person before you entered, and now you're radically different. And you don't know how to make sense of that. Listen, I want you to see this, that no matter what, whether it's your looks, your money, your performance, other people's opinions of you, our relational status, fill in the blank, that all of those things we look for to tell us who we are. And y'all, the doctrine of the Imago Dei comes pounding into your life, crushes all of those things, and says just because you are human, here is who you are. You are an image bearer of God. Think with me for a moment. How might that change the way that you're living your life even now? To know that you are royal. To think for a moment that you're not just what somebody will think about you. It doesn't matter what other people think about you because God calls you royal. And I'm not even talking about you being a Christian. If you're not a Christian here tonight, you are still royal. You still bear the image of God. And what it means for us to treat one another is with that dignity as well. We'll look at that in a moment. Listen to what a couple of people have written. The great British man that I love, C.S. Lewis, writes this. You can read it there along. He says, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub and exploit. 
immortals, immortal horrors, or everlasting splendor. Do you know the person that you sit beside right now? If you were to see them in their glorified state, you would be tempted to worship them. That is what the image of God tells you who you are. Listen to what another writer, Nate Wilson, writes. He says, understand this. We are both tiny and massive. We are nothing more than molded clay given breath, but we are nothing less than divine self-portraits huffing and puffing along mountain ranges of epic narrative arcs prepared for us by the infinite Word Himself. Swell with pride and gratitude, for you are tiny and given much. You are spoken by God as the stars. This is what the Scriptures say about you. You were created in God's image, and that is who you are. Well, secondly, as soon as we begin to look at this, we've got to ask the question, so what? What's the big deal about this being who we are? And what the Scriptures are going to tell us, if we look at the entirety of them, is, is that this gives us an incredible value. It's not just that this is who you are, but it gives weight and dignity and value to your life. Because human beings are in the image of God Himself, this gives every person an incredible value. God does not make junk. And He does not junk what He has made. It is so valuable to Him that He breaks into song, as we have seen in verse 27, and calls it very good. Now, it is true Man falls into sin. We are going there. But do you know that even after sin enters the world, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, this is what he says. After sin has entered the world, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So even after sin enters the world, this is telling us that you still bear that image, however broken or however shattered it might be. Like the mirror that gets cracked. You no longer reflect God's image as you were once intended to reflect. Now, the picture here that God paints is one of a master artist building his craft. And because God has made us, He calls us and makes us valuable. Why would this matter? I'm going to jump into some real implications here for you. Because... I want to suggest to you that the Imago Dei is what gives value and dignity to people. You cannot have civil rights movements without the Imago Dei. You cannot argue philosophically that people matter without pointing to the answer to the question, why? And secular humanism, an atheistic frame of reference, cannot give you that. Listen to what one writer, I'm borrowing this from Tim Keller's book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. This comes from a historian, Carl Becker. Listen to what he says. Humans are little more. They're a little more than a chance deposit on the surface of the world, carelessly thrown up between two ice ages by the same forces that rust iron and ripen corn. That's what a non-Christian worldview would tell us. Moreover, listen to what the British philosopher John Gray has said. Human uniqueness is a myth inherited from religion which humanists have recycled back into science. Now look, 
I'm not against science. That's not my point at all. I actually have a biology degree. I love the sciences, okay? My point is, is this. You cannot tell us why people matter from a, a worldview that does not allow for the image of God. You just can't. It doesn't work. It, it doesn't stand to reason. It doesn't follow. Here's one way to think about it. Um, if, you, if, you, if you have, for example, a, a world that says that people uh, don't matter, that they don't have inherent value and dignity, you can do to them whatever you want. You see, Darwin was actually right if you throw it out. Because there is nothing wrong for the strong to eat the weak, you know. You can't tell me that it's wrong. It's only wrong because people matter. And they have value and they have dignity. But don't make a moral appeal to something about it being right or wrong if you don't have something backing that up. That's what I'm trying to get at. And so you begin to see why all movements of civil rights get absolutely shut down. All reasons that you would actually care for your neighbor don't stand without this. You are actually allowed, without the imago dei, to exploit people. There's nothing morally wrong about it. But because the imago dei is so embedded in what we know to be true about human humanity, I mean, we live on the basis that it is. The reason it happens, y'all, is because, uh, because God Himself has said we have value and dignity. Listen, students like, like y'all are asking real questions. Listen, do I only have dignity and value if I'm a certain body size, as we've talked about? You don't believe it. You don't. That's why it's driving you to your eating disorder. You don't believe in the image of God. I don't either. You know why? Because I treat my wife like crap sometimes. I don't look at her with the dignity that she deserves. Every view or glance of any sort of sexual exploitation is because you're forgetting the doctrine of the imago dei. Do you realize that every human person has infinite worth and value in the eyes of God? And who are we to treat them any other, any other way? That's what this is getting at. Well, you go, well, wait a second then, Ryan. How? Why? Why does this happen in the first place that we would even do to this to people? That's where we're going thirdly. We're going to look at what the problem is. In short, I'll say it um, because... Uh, he has helped me think through it more than anyone else. What Tim Keller has said, he said, because the image of God is broken in each and every one of us. If we were to go over to Genesis chapter 3, what we read last week, we hear of sin entering the world, and when it did, it radically broke us. It radically broke our image-bearing capacity. Think of that mirror reflecting something and then being shattered or your, uh, you know, your Insta selfies that you take, right? Okay, but you've got that dadgum shattered screen that you can't wait for the upgrade for to get replaced. When you look at your selfie, there's cracks running all through the image, right? That's the way the Scriptures think, speak about us, that we don't reflect, we're not reflecting God as we ought. Listen to what... Uh, one theologian, John Calvin, said, he puts it best, even though we grant that God's image was not totally annihilated and destroyed in Him, yet it was so corrupted that whatever remains is frightful deformity.
That's what it says about our very capabilities to uh, image and to show forth God. Listen, why would this matter? Because this is telling us the image of God in this ark. Remember, it's a storyline. It tells us that the reason that we exploit other people is because the image of God is broken in us. The reason that we actually hate other people is because the image is broken in us. The reason that you even hate yourself is because the image is broken in us. What does that mean? Well, it's very simple. It means, y'all, that we have forgotten what it means to be in intimate fellowship with God and have begun to turn our gaze, to begin to look to something else. At first it was the fruit, and from there on out, it's been our own selves. Looking somewhere else besides God Himself has marred and broken that image. All i got to do is ask you, how do you exploit people? What are you not proud of? What are you not proud of in the way that you treat people? Well, look, it's right there that you begin to sense the brokenness of that image in you. There's great hope, though. Because here's what our God does. Our God doesn't just come to us and say, look, I'm going to kind of show you an example of how to go live your life and try to fix things by giving you a better example. That's actually what most people think of when they think of Christianity. They think that Jesus was this great example that, we, that he, God gave Him to us so that we'll have a great example to follow. And the problem is with that is this. If you think Jesus comes to you as an example, you're, you're far worse off than you thought you were beforehand. You can't live up to Him. He comes first of all to us as something much, much more as we want to take a look at. Let's take turn our eyes now to our future. How will this dilemma get fixed? Let's spend a moment for just a second talking about this. Y'all, pause with me for a second. I'm getting off my notes. I just want to ask you a question. Do you ever sense deep in your being that something is not right for you? That something is not right with you? And that you long existentially to be made right? I can't, I wish I could qualify it more than that, but it's almost like you can sit in the world and go, I'm just not at home here. Something seems like I'm here, but there's something off. I feel like I'm made for much, much more. That the way that I presently live my life is not the way that I'm intended. And I want to say to you, you're dead on right. You're dead on right because you know that something was lost about what it means to be a human. And that the story begs for completion. And it's what God shows us even now as we take a look at how things get fixed. Here's what the Scriptures tell us. The Scriptures tell us in Colossians 1, verse 15, that there was one who came. And listen to what it says. For He, speaking of Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Again, in, verse, in, uh, in another verse right out of Colossians chapter 2, 
For in Him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What, is, what are we getting at? I simply mean to say this. That Jesus Christ was the imago dei par excellence. He was the extreme and ultimate form of what it looks like to image God Himself. That's what Paul is talking about when he says that He Himself is the invisible image, the invisible representation or likeness of God. And here is the deal. Because of that, He says this in John chapter 14, that if you have seen Me, Jesus says, you have actually seen the Father. Because Jesus so represents God. So what are we getting at here? How does this get fixed? Well, listen to what one person puts it. A guy named Tony Hukuma. He puts it like this. He says, Since Christ is God's perfect image, likeness to Christ will also mean likeness to God. The perfect likeness to Christ and to God is the ultimate goal of our sanctification. That's a fancy word for Christian growth. Whereas the image of God is now being progressively restored in those who are the children of God in the life to come, that image will be totally and finally restored. If you don't like Hukamah and you like the Apostle Paul, here you have it. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image that is the image of the Lord from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. How does this happen? This change happens, y'all, by the Spirit. It comes by obedience and walking with Him that we are actually made more like Jesus. Listen to another one, Motir. I'm giving you tons of quotes tonight, um, but I want you to understand this. In obedience, we are living according to our revealed definition. We are being ourselves. The law of the Lord, that is the Bible, is the maker's handbook for the effectuation, that is the bringing about of a truly human existence and personal fulfillment. I'm done with the fancy quotes. I want to give you this. What does all this mean? I started by asking the question, what does it mean to be fully human? Have you ever wrestled with that question? Of saying, hey, uh, this is what a true sort of human experience looks like. I'm going to go to Europe for six months, and that's what it's going to be for me to be, you know, I really have to live my life this way. And I'm saying every single one of us is asking that question. What does it mean to be truly and fully human? And what the Scriptures tell us because of the Imago Dei is this, to be made like Jesus. To be remade into what was lost in the garden. And that is what God promises for you and for me and nothing less. That is where we are going, y'all. God, by His Spirit, has promised to change us. Perhaps you're a Shakespeare fan like I am. And you've heard Polonius from Hamlet scream, what? To thine own self, be true. And we sort of say, that's my mantra. I'm just going to be true to myself. That's what true human experience is. I just need to be true to myself. Well, Shakespeare was a genius. Because if you know anything about Hamlet, Polonius is a fool. He's a fool in the narrative. And Shakespeare's saying, don't, 
Being true to yourself will only ruin you. If you want to know what it means to be true and truth, truly human, to live as though you were made to live, to find f- true fulfillment in life, you have to look at the real image bearer, Jesus. Being conformed through the Spirit to the likeness and the character of Christ is where true humanness is found. The Imago Dei in the Old Testament points us forward to the true and better image bearer. The only one who knows how to fix what was lost. In Jesus, God becomes fully human. Fully human. That we too actually might become the same.